Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Good morning, church. Can you believe it's Advent season already? The season where Christians all over the world celebrate a time of waiting for and anticipating the celebration of Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. Can you believe that we have less than one month until this year, 2020 crazy year, is over? 2020 has been by far the wildest, craziest, wackiest, weirdest year ever. I feel like it was just yesterday that we started in January our 21-day fast, and we were looking forward to a great year ahead for our church and for our lives personally. January came and went, February came and went, and then March hit. March 8th was the last church service that we had in person at PS 153, and I remember that day vividly because we had Avia's birthday party in the school gym right after service, and we had like 75 people there. I uh, Hopefully it wasn't a super spreader event, but uh, I remember after that week, um, the, the city started to shut down and the pandemic just grew and grew and grew. At the beginning of 2020, it was normal to see the bottom half of people's faces when we walked outside. It was normal to pack people inside of a small New York City apartment to hang out. It was normal to sit inside of a restaurant and eat. 2020 has been a mess. Some of you have lost loved ones to COVID this year. I officiated my first funeral during this pandemic, the passing of Priscilla's uncle due to COVID. Some of you had have contracted COVID over the last several months. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you haven't been to the office in months and are working from home. We all became homeschool parents overnight. Yet, when you are a child of God, there is always beauty in the struggle. Even though 2020 has been messy, there's hope for the believer. We can take solace in the fact that God is going to right every wrong. He's going to make all things new and bring ultimate justice to this world. Really, that's what Christmas is about. God sending his son to right the wrong that humans created in this world through their sin. So our text for today is going to be Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 18. And it says this, Now the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, meaning before they were intimate, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly, meaning divorce her. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will give birth to a son and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew here is directly quoting from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. 
verse 24, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and she named him Jesus. We see right off the bat in verses 18 and 19 that God comes in the middle of our mess. And sometimes his sovereign plan for us is what creates the mess that we're in. Have you ever said yes to God and then real quick, all heck broke loose in your life and everything just got super messy? I know my family and I, are we're in a situation right now where we said yes to something God asked us to do. And coincidentally, our lives have gotten so much more complicated since that yes. We have had to wade through some complicated waters recently. The exact same thing happened to Mary, a.k.a. Messy Mary, when she said yes to God. Let's look at the passage when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to tell her about God's plans for her life. In Luke chapter 1, um, verses, uh, we're going to start in verse number 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Skipping down to verse number 34. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And Mary said, Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do you see the predicament that Mary finds herself in after she says yes to God? She was betrothed to Joseph, but pregnant from someone not named Joseph. This was an absolute no-no in that time and culture and would have brought shame to both families. Let's break down why this situation was so messy by looking at Hebrew marriage customs. Marriages back then were arranged by the parents and the contracts negotiated by parents. So Joseph's parents and Mary's parents uh, arranged and were intricately involved in this betrothal. Once this happened, the couple were considered husband and wife. They did not, however, begin to live together at this moment, at this point. Both the man and the wife continued living with their parents for one year. It's a beautiful picture of how the bride of Christ is waiting for the return of her groom so that they can be together once and for all. Listen to what one commentary says about this. If, however, the one-year waiting period demonstrated the purity of the bride— the husband would then go to the house of the bride's parents and in a grand processional march, lead his bride back to his home. There they would begin to live together as husband and wife and consummate their marriage physically. So Mary and Joseph were in this one-year waiting period. So it's definitely more than our modern-day engagement, but not quite the modern-day marriage. The betrothal was so serious and binding, though, that you would have to get a legal divorce in order to dissolve the betrothal. Mary and Joseph, therefore, are not just casually dating. They are, for all intents and purposes, married. So you could see how heartbreaking this would have been for Joseph to see his bride-to-be starting to show. 
Like what kind of conversation would that have been? You know, Mary going up to Joseph saying, hey, Joseph, I've got something to tell you. Joseph, yeah, what's up, babe? I'm pregnant. Joseph's like, what? Like, who is he? God. Like, how would that, how would that go over? Like, I, I've heard a lot of excuses for cheating, but I've never heard God being used as, as the excuse for cheating on your significant other. And just as you would imagine, Joseph didn't buy Mary's reason for pregnancy, but being a just, righteous man who deeply loved Mary, decided he was going to divorce her quietly and secretly instead of publicly shaming her. According to Jewish law, a public stoning was the punishment for being unfaithful. I don't know about you, but Joseph is a better man than I. If Priscilla had come up to me during our engagement with a little belly showing and telling me she got pregnant with someone else, I'd put her on blast, and I'm sure she would do the same to me. I wouldn't have been as kind or generous uh, as Joseph was, but more power to him. But as we see in Matthew 1, verses 20 through 25, as Joseph is dealing with this huge mess, an angel shows up to him in a dream, revealing to him everything Mary had explained to him and tells him to stay with her. Aren't you glad that God shows up in our messiness? 2020 has been messy, but God has shown up. 2020 has been messy, but God has been faithful. 2020 has been messy, but we are still here. 2020 has been messy, but we're still going to celebrate Advent season of his first coming to this earth, and we are going to anticipate the second coming of our Savior to right every wrong once and for all. As God showed up in the middle of Mary and Joseph's mess 2,000 years ago, he revealed three things about himself. Number one, he revealed that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. The first and most crucial part of the Christmas story is that Jesus is God. He's not just another human. He's not just a prophet or a good person. He's the prophesied Messiah. Matthew brings home this point in verse 20 when he says, but when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The angel revealed to Joseph that he would be Jesus's earthly sort of secondary father, but God is the father of Jesus. And the most direct statement of Jesus' deity comes from verse 23, where Matthew quotes from Isaiah 7, 14, which was prophesied some 700 years before this and fulfilled in Jesus. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. In a time where there's so much to be sad about and so much to lament, this Christmas truth that Jesus is God gives us endless and abounding hope in this season. It, it means that this world is not all that there is. It means that there is life and love after death. It means that there is life after COVID. This too shall pass. It means that there is an eternal, all-powerful God that infinitely loves us. Not only does it mean that there is hope for the world, it also means that there is hope for you and I despite 
our unending shortcomings and flaws and imperfections and sinfulness. Jesus is a God who is both holy and love. He is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. One does not take from the other. One does not lack because of the other. If God was just holy without love, there would be no need for Christmas because he would provide a list of rules and expectations to live up to and simply demand that we fulfill those things. He would demand that we be moral and holy enough to earn or merit a relationship with him. Now, if God was just love, there would be no need for Christmas because this modern God, this God that we have set up for ourselves would just overlook all sin and evil and let us do whatever we wanted. He would embrace us while we self-destructed in fulfilling our own endless desires. Tim Keller in his book, Hidden Christmas, says this about this idea. The biblical God, however, is infinitely holy, so our sin could not be shrugged off. It had to be dealt with. He is also infinitely loving. He knows we could never climb up to him, so he has come down to us. God had to come himself and do what we couldn't do. He doesn't send someone. He doesn't send a committee report or a preacher to tell you how to save yourself. He comes himself to fetch us. Christmas means then that for you and me, there is all the hope in the world. But not only is Jesus God, Jesus is also human. There was a hit song that came out in 1995. I was 13 years old, uh, and it, w- it was called One of Us. And all these years, I thought it was sung by Alanis Morissette uh, until I Googled it yesterday, and, and uh, I didn't see her name. And apparently it was sung by a woman named Joan Osborne, which I have no idea who she is. But the, anyway, the most famous sentence in the song is, what if God were one of us? What if God was one of us? That's the, that's the, that's the sentence in the song that, that kind of sticks out the most famous part of it. Well, God is one of us to answer the question. God in the flesh, Jesus became human. The doctrine of incarnation is that God in Jesus was both fully God and fully human. It's, it's, a, it's an absolute mystery, but it is the doctrine of incarnation. But Jesus, he didn't enter this world as the next Caesar. He wasn't born into wealth and influence and privilege. He was born into the home of a carpenter, a lower class profession. Jesus, as human, wasn't this beautiful, jacked body of perfection like I am. Uh, just kidding. In fact, listen to how Isaiah describes Jesus as he was prophesying about him. Isaiah 53 and verse 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. Physically, Jesus had nothing outwardly attractive about him. So what does that mean for us Christians? It means that we shouldn't pursue fame. It means that we shouldn't be starry-eyed about the glitz and glam of fame and beauty. It means Christians shouldn't be snobby and look down on other people. It means that we shouldn't pursue happiness and worth from outside beauty and attractiveness, the things that the world considers the most important things in this life. Listen to what theologian J.I. Packer says about this. For the Son of God to empty himself and become poor meant a laying aside of glory, 
a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of misunderstanding, finally a death that involved such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. It meant love to the uttermost for unlovely men. But it is the spirit of some Christians, alas, they are many, whose ambition in life seems limited to building a nice middle-class Christian home and making nice middle-class Christian friends and bringing up their children in nice middle-class Christian ways and who leave the marginalized of the community, Christian and non-Christian, to get on as best they can. The Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob, for the Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent to enrich their fellow humans, giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to others and not just their own friends in whatever way there seems need. Christmas for most Christians is no different from Christmas from non-Christians. Did you hear that? Christmas for most Christians is no different from Christmas for non-Christians. It's all about gifts for everyone. It's all about Santa. It's stressing about out about who's coming over or where you're going. It's about spending unlimited amount of time online, spending way too much money on gifts. It's so consumer-driven, yet we as Christians are part of this sacred story of God stepping out of heaven and coming to earth. J.I. Packer says the implications of God becoming human is that the Christmas spirit does not shine out in the Christian snob. The fact that Jesus became human and emptied himself of his glory means that you should not only strive to hang out with people of power, influence, and charisma. You know, if you scroll through some pastor's Instagrams, Right, You'll see, and I'm getting on my soapbox here a little bit, you'll see all of these pictures of them with powerful people, with famous people, with influential people. And I'm thinking, you got all of these pictures with these celebrities, but what about Joe Schmo in your church that never gets a picture with you yet? He comes early every single week to serve. Even though you're hanging out with celebrities, they're not giving a dime to your church. But Joe Schmo tithes out of the little that he has faithfully every single week, every single paycheck. He's given 10% and he doesn't have a lot, yet no pictures with him. As people following in the footsteps of our Lord, we should be willing to spend time with and invest in people who can't open doors for us who can't add followers to our social media platforms, who can't increase our brand awareness. If we're truly following in the footsteps of Jesus, we are constantly making ourselves poor. We are constantly stepping out of privilege and we're constantly getting into the lives of those who are less fortunate and who aren't as privileged as us. Not only is Jesus God and human, but point number three, Jesus is with us. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23 says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Christmas reveals that the unapproachable, transcendent, infinite God in Jesus can be known and can be loved. Through faith in him, we can have a loving relationship with this God. 
The Apostle John said it this way in John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word became flesh and lived among us. We gazed upon his glory, glory like that of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Not only did he become flesh and live among us 2,000 years ago at the first Christmas, he still lives among us through the Holy Spirit today. This is amazing, friends. To know and to love and to be loved by God should be the most amazing thing you've ever heard in your entire life, and this should be the driving force of your life. When God showed up in the Old Testament, it was always in a pillar of fire or a burning bush or in a cloud. It was terrifying when God showed up, right? People were freaked out. They were scared. They said, Moses, we don't want to go up the mountain with you. You go and represent us to God and then come back down because we are terrified. But in the New Testament, we see God showing up as a baby. Babies, well, for most of us, are the opposite of terrifying. They're vulnerable. They're clingy. They're weak. Why did God show up this way? Because this time he did not come to bring judgment or wrath, but to actually bear it upon himself. He came to pay the penalty for our sins. He came to die in our place. He came to do what you and I could never do. Why? Because he infinitely loves every single one of us. He did it because he desires a relationship with us. Jesus, as I described, did so much to be with us. But what are you doing to be with him? Are you in relationship with him? Have you trusted in him and put your faith in him? Are you sold out to him the way he sold out to us? If you're not, I want you to know that you can start a relationship with him today. He wants to be with you. He moved heaven and earth literally to step out of heaven, stripped himself of his glory, stripped himself of his privilege to be with us. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you, because he wants a connection with you. He wants to connect us to the Father. And today, if you have not put your trust in him, there's nothing more important in this Christmas season. There's no greater gift than salvation. There's no greater gift than starting a relationship, a journey with the God of this universe. He loves you and he wants to be with you. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.